I know what a real man wants. I know your innermost fantasies. Dangerous curves, squealing sounds, a well-placed racing stripe. I know you want to fuck a car. So just call me. Do it now, and I'll hold the phone up and you can tell the car all the dirty things you want to do to it. We don't care if you're packing a compact, a midsize, or a woody wagon. You won't need GPS to find our G-spot. Bring a pan because we're leaking all over the garage. <laughs> you're gonna pump your gasoline all night. Call toll-free 1-800-227-3825. That's toll-free 1-800-CAR-FUCK. Must have a valid driver's license. Welcome back to the Cable Boys, Internet's only podcast about movies. That's right, Justin. We are just three horn honkers who like to talk about <laughs> movies from our childhood that were inappropriate for one reason or another. Like 1995's uh, uh, <laughs> erotic thriller, uh, Crash by David Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we are so, so fortunate to be joined by film critic, programmer, great Twitter follow, Mm -hmm. all-around nice, sweet person, Justine Smith, everybody. Yay, thank you. So happy to be back, guys. I know, our first uh, two-time guest. Mm-hmm. Ooh, feel very blessed. Yeah, the first first repeat offender. (laughs) Justine, you win for uh, most traumatic childhood movies. Two in a row. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Okay, so this is like a Canadian traumatic movie because this movie played on TV like constantly. On TV? Like constantly. Canada's fucked up, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I even like, I even have proof. I tweeted about this last year and I'm like, Canadian kids traumatized by disturbing late night cartoons and crash. And the response was like enormous. Like people like remember this. It was played, it played on Showcase like a few times a year unedited officially from their they say it's uncut but they did cut one of the scenes though i don't know which one uh partially because of canadian content rules you have to play a certain amount of canadian television and showcase was like the sexy <laughs> channel so they played a lot of crash hey rules are rules eh we gotta put we gotta put we gotta play something you gotta play justin bieber on the radio and you gotta put on crash on showcase that's incredible that they played they played this movie basically unedited on normal tv at the same time as other countries were trying to ban it outright yep tell we roll <laughs> good for you canada well i mean they're prime minister was doing blackface until a few years ago. So there's different sure. norms in Canada. No, I don't, I, cable Boys Legal Department should get on that. I don't think Justin Trudeau uh, had a chronic blackface problem. He had, <laughs> a, he had more than one. Yeah, he did have a few. <laughs> yeah, one time, shame on you. More than one incident as far as I could tell, but it may be only two. That's still more than average. I, I heard it was the same party, but he did multiple outfits. He had a blackface <laughs> change? He he had a blackface change, uh, changed the shade, changed the drip. That's, that's terrible. Yeah. Oh, wow. Remember. Yeah, this movie. Uh, I texted the guys right when it started. I started watching. I was just like, oh, wow, two back-to-back ass-eating scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Straight up. That's but just That's how the movie starts. Yeah, I mean, it's like... The movie doesn't let you off the hook from the beginning, and then it just somehow gets worse. Yeah, I don't know if I liked it. I didn't. <laughs> I, I didn't hate it, but I didn't <laughs> like it. It's definitely uh, uh, well made. I mean, it's it's good, right? This is a good movie. I th- I'm obsessed with this movie. I think it's like if I were to make like a top ten movies of all time, Crash is in there. Crash wow. is like wow, perfect movie. What would you change? Like, what could you improve upon? I don't know. Well, There's I wouldn't. Uh, besides <laughs> besides to, not making it, it's the only way you can improve on it. 
To be fair, this was also imprinted on your brain as yeah. a young child, uh, yeah, just through repetition. Christ. So, so I don't know if you're a complete fair judge on the merits <laughs> of the film. So this was uh, pretty much a first time watch for me, but I had seen the first, I would say, fifteen minutes because in high school I took I took a date to see this movie. <laughs> her name, yeah, her name was uh, Lindsay. We went to the Drexel Theater, which was like Columbus's like art house theater. It's where I saw Reservoir Dogs for the first time. And I like Cronenberg films, like Scanners and stuff. So I was like, oh, he's got like a new movie. This would be great. I'll look like super intellectual, you know. We'll, we'll, I'm not taking her to Twister, you know. I took a different date to Twister, which went much better. We, we sat down and watched it. And at the 15-minute mark, she just turned and was like, I want to leave. <laughs> and I was like, ah, the movie just started. It might, it might come around. Nah, it didn't. We got in my car and there was no hanky panky, and I drove her home. <laughs> it went as well as De Niro taking Sybil Shepherd to see that movie in Taxi Driver, that porno. <laughs> and him being like, what are you talking about? It's a pretty good movie, Art. It's good. <laughs> Justine, were you like a preteen when this came out, or like, or when you saw this first, or? Um, when the movie first came out, I was still, I was two, I was like six. So, <laughs> so I was probably my preteens. So it was probably like the early 2000s that I, it first started to be in the regular late night show. I, I have like a really bad sense of exactly what year, but it was like definitely early 2000s. This had to be crazy for can, people who have no idea what this is to like flip the channel and just like see James Spader fucking uh, leg wound be like what's going on what is this movie yeah. Yeah. also also just to being that young and not really having a full sense of the the wide variety of uh, intercourse that people have it's nice to just have a, a a pun not intended crash course in just that that smorgasbord that like so many options just a just a buffet of different types of sex in different places yeah i think it's like i watched this movie before i really even understood like the mechanics of sex so it's like like it's obviously a very traumatic movie to watch right but so much of it would just go over your head like i, I think it's like you don't you almost like disassociate i don't remember being like particularly like shaken by it. I'm just like, okay, this is on Canadian TV and like I'm going to watch it. There's a lot of I, weird stuff, yeah. It's on Canadian TV. I trust my government. I trust my censors. Uh, <laughs> I am meant to see this. I, I think what's fascinating about it is being so young and not being able to grasp what sex is and like searching in it for story and for characters and like David Cronenberg said about this movie the sex scenes are the movie if viewers yeah. resist watching them for narrative for character development for the texture they don't get the movie and so like how do you come to that from such a young age and get anything out of it let alone it being a top 10 movie. <laughs> like, well, it yeah. wasn't a top 10 movie at the time. It's like only recently because I've watched it like many times since as an adult. And like, I'm kind of, I'm obsessed with David Cronenberg. So that's a good start. Mm -hmm. But I guess I'm like so fascinated by a movie that has like virtually no narratives, like traditional mm -hmm. narrative structure. I guess it's a movie that's really about how much hopelessness there is and like I think that's very something I, I connect with very viscerally and like it's a very strange film in terms of its tone because it's also kind of funny like it's very dark and there's something about it like I, th I think with all David Cronenberg's movies like you're coming at something that like he is such a distance from it is so dispassionate the way that he makes the movie and he's James Spader who James Spader is like such a strange actor as well who is mm -hmm. always just you, you don't know if he's joking or not, even mm. in the most serious moments. And there's something so disturbing and disconcerting about his entire presence. Like, the fact that he's now, like, Boomer Mom's, like, favorite actor because of the blacklist. I'm like, this is just troubling. <laughs> this is all just, like, James Spader should not be on TV. <laughs> like, I like there's something just so upsetting about him, like, as a person uh, that I just adore. I don't know. I like movies that just, like, fuck me up. And I'm like, okay, I'm never going to make sense of this movie, but no matter how much I watch it. And so I kind of want to watch it more and more. Yeah, let's see if we can try and break down the plot a little bit. Um, I mean, it opens with a woman putting her tit on a plane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's hard really good. surface. Yeah, yeah, that was a good opening. I was, I was all about the opening. <laughs> 
The next scene was James Spader putting his butt on a hot stove. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then the back-to-back, as Justin mentioned, uh, pure butt-eating scenes. Mm-hmm. They kind of call this movie Ass Buffet. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, James Spader is a what a Hollywood producer, right? He is. Yes, he's working on a film. He's, isn't he the named after the writer of the book? Yes. Yeah, that's the in, the in the book. The main character is also named Ballard, though. Um, and James James Spader uh, gets into a car crash early on. Mm-hmm. It goes. It goes. Sex scene. Sex scene. Sex scene with discussion of previous two sex scenes. And then, like, that is too much for James Spader to take that and his uh, notes on the production. (laughs) And he's just, like, (laughs) rifling through them, loses control of the car, crashes headfirst into someone. The uh, passenger goes flying through his window into James Spader's car. Uh, I wish he had survived and (laughs) just had a little conversation there. Like, whoa, (laughs) hey. Kind of suck your dick. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, then he then he looks up and uh, Holly Hunter is in the driver's seat of the other car, mm-hmm. and uh, she flashes her tit, which you know if you get in an accident, that's an interesting way to exchange information. Sure. And uh, <laughs> oh, you gotta you gotta zoom in; it's written around <laughs> around the areola. Um, and then they're both in the hospital, and then yeah. I, I, I I I'm sort of maybe at a loss to. Describe the rest. It's just he falls into a world of auto-eroticism, literally auto. Yeah, he meets this man named Vaughn, who he thinks is a doctor or someone who works in the hospital, who wants to take all these photos of his accident. Mm-hmm. And then he finds out the guy's not a doctor, and he just impersonates <laughs> a doctor so he can get, like, gnarly crash footage. And then he gets initiated into this dark world where they start, like, the start off is, like, they have these shows where they recreate famous people who died in car crashes, like James Dean and James Mansfield. They have two to draw from. <laughs> they have, no, there's, Murnau did, too. Murnau, there was a big rumor in uh, Hollywood Babylon, who he directed Nosferatu, uh, Sunrise, and a few other films, uh, that he died uh, while sucking his boyfriend's dick. And that they found his dick in his mouth, but his family denies this. Because, but Kenneth Anger made up like ninety percent of what he did, so it probably was not true. It became Hollywood legend, so they could have done that one too. Did the yeah. did the cops uh, press the family for like at least a explanation? <laughs> They're like, "There's a lot of evidence here that says otherwise." I'm glad that you're saying no, he didn't. However, <laughs> here's what we're saying: they crashed, his dick unzipped. Flew out of his pants. <laughs> into the other guy's mouth. Tried to escape. The only solace he could find was his mouth. You have so, to understand, uh, he was a very clumsy man who tended to tie his shoelaces together. And there's a lot of stumbling, a lot of falling on top of things. But what's great, what if? What if that's exactly what happened? Yeah. <laughs> that the, the impact was so great that your pants unzip and your friend falls forward. Like those crash test dummies. Remember those commercials? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and then that's that's how everyone remembers <laughs> wow. you. Poor him. I, I definitely think that the reenactment of the car crashes are my favorite part of this movie. It's the best part, yeah. That's a great angle. And Elias uh, Cotier's, how do you say his name? He's terrific in this. He's so He's good very all the good. time. Canadian He's good. Is he Canadian? He's a Canadian icon, yes. We have, like, statues of him all over the country. Yeah. Yeah, in America, we have one statue of him, but it's just for his role as... uh, Shredder? No. uh, No, Casey Jones. Yeah, Casey Casey Jones. Jones. Remember that cut scene from Turtles when uh, Casey Jones fucked April O'Neil with that hockey stick? That... (laughs) Uh, is that going to make it? Uh, I don't. I don't think that's canon, my <laughs> that's friend. Teenage I, mutant I, horny turtles. I think. <laughs> I think that's why your browser crashes every time <laughs> you try to research one of these films. Just for people to know, and I, I don't ask how I know, but there's a lot of teenage mutant ninja turtle porn. <laughs> yeah, both both animated and there was like a, a porn parody. Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a porn actress named April now. Yeah, yeah. she she's the one who made it. Was like her life's work. Yeah. To make uh, this TMNT porn parody. But the costumes in that porn parody look really good. Mm-hmm. They're probably from the actual movie. Well, I mean, you can see the turtle dicks. We've, we've gone way off. Yeah. Uh, let's get back to crash. Let's, let's uh, clean this up a little bit let's and get, get back, back on the highway. Crash. Yeah, we are we are way off. I did mention that one of the actors was in was Casey Jones, and that is that is a clear off ramp. Uh, there's no way we can't take that one. 
Yeah. Well, it's like a movie about addiction, essentially, right? Like these people mm-hmm. who are ad- addic- addicted to this thing and cannot help themselves. Mm-hmm. Like they and like they're like junkies for it. Like they're like in that room with like fucking Rosanna Arquette just jilling off to car crash videos, <laughs> you know? Like and they're all just on the couch just chilling. I'm like, that's some fucking junky behavior right there. And as a kid, I, I'm glad I didn't see this as a fucking kid because I would have been so confused. I'd have been like, "What is he doing behind her butt?" I don't. Yeah, why is his face back there? Like, what's happening? It. Uh, I did think of that, and from like a kid standpoint, because I always talk about that. The first, the first time I'd ever seen people have sex on screen was a weird porno about the the guys who uh, were staking out a cabin, and two girls pulled up, and they were like, "It's grandma's cabin. We're gonna stay here." And then, like, the girls go into the cabin, and the guys come out of the bushes, and the one guy sniffed the driver's seat. <laughs> And was like, they're fresh or Ugh. something like that. And I just being like, as a kid, being like, why did he do that? As an adult, I don't know. I still don't know. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, don't, I don't know. It's like, I feel like it's like in Canada, it's so, so different. Because like, I grew up with like six channels. One of the six channels, like when I was a kid, every Friday and Saturday night, they had something called Nuit Bleu, which is translates to Blue Nights, which was just like softcore porn. That was just something that was on TV ever since I can remember. So I don't think I was, like, particularly... Like, the the sex is weird, and, like, that... I definitely didn't understand, like, Mm ass-eating. But the sex was not super bizarre to me, just because there was already so much sex on television. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's also not super graphic, either. But it is terribly uncomfortable. I I think Mm -hmm. that's why everyone involved was very perplexed with the harsh reaction to it, particularly from Britain, is just, like, it's not... It's not gratuitous. It's not it's not horny. People don't watch the movie and just think like, oh man, I, I want to be making love to my wife as she just talks about some other guy's like penis. And would you like to lick his penis? I know, and like 20 questions, you, lady. Oh my Come god, on. that went on so long. <laughs> it so went on for a very long Jesus time. Jesus Christ. And it also it, it it had a nice ramp up to it where it was just like, Oh yeah, you seem kind of into him. Have you seen his penis? Do you know what semen tastes like? Did you know that the pH balance of semen is between, uh, <laughs> it's slightly acidic. Uh, it's It really started to get very informational. It but that scene alone, just thinking that that's on Canadian TV. I mean, here in the States, we have sexy things on TV, but I always feel like we're making fun of it. Because I'm trying to think of like our version of what Justine was talking about would have been like USA Up All Night or something. Yeah, silk mm-hmm. stockings and that type of shit. We had Red Shoe Diaries too. Like uh, mm-hmm. even when I had tweeted about it, someone's like, oh, the, the what do you call it? Millennial tweens, Canadian education, uh, Friday nights, X-Files, Red Shoe Diaries and Crash. That was like the, the three things that were on TV like every Friday night. God, I haven't thought about Red Shoe Diaries in a long time. Yeah, or like Emmanuel. That's what I remember. Emmanuel, classic too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's hard to it's hard to honk to those when like you cut to then Gilbert Godfrey. You know, being like eh, yeah. You know? <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> How was it? I know what you are doing. I, I do want to say, um, as we mentioned earlier, it's almost impossible now to find this movie. It is a Criterion selected movie, but they don't have it on their channel, which is odd. And as we talked about in the mini-sode, the Cable Boys legal department does not condone or recommend pirating movies, but there's no other way to do this, right? So I watched it on a website. <laughs> we could have paid money. I couldn't we find could've. it to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I actually, no, I really did try and find it. I, could, I couldn't find it to rent it. I tried YouTube. Nobody has it. And uh, I watched it on a website, and underneath the movie, they have the you know, the usual, like, if you like this movie, you might like this. <laughs> and it was like go. Fargo, and it was the DiCaprio, Romeo and Juliet. But also, everybody loves Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to know what it was. Like, because it's like, sometimes yeah. like just an actor or whatever, but like, maybe there's like an unknown crossover between I, the two. I honestly thought about that for 10 minutes. Like, That's why so would these two, could, was there like an episode where Brad Garrett sucked a tailpipe or something? <laughs> <laughs> like, I actually have a theory too why the crash is almost impossible to find on streaming. It's because too many people rented it by mistake. Sure. Oh. They thought it's the 2004 film and this movie makes people really angry. And so I can just imagine a streaming service being like, it's not even worth the hassle <laughs> yeah. of having like some mom from Idaho just like 
hate tweeting Netflix or even mm-hmm. the Criterion Channel because they thought they were going to get a nice movie about racism. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that that movie's terrible. Yeah. They should be upset that they watched awful, that one. Yeah. I didn't think about that. You're you're absolutely right, Justine. That that has got to be what it is. Because I even know when the original Crash came out, like I was going to video stores constantly because it was like the tail end of Before They Died. And I knew a lot of people who worked there and they said that they would often have people trying to rent like the Cronenberg one and they would always warn them. And they're like, actually a surprising amount of people did not know they were renting the wrong movie. Wow. Yeah. Cronenberg, by the way, was pissed off. He was P.O.'d that another movie could be made with the same exact name. Not not only just because of his film and reverence for it, but he also really respected the novel. And mm-hmm. so he thought it was just kind of a slap in the face. It is weird, though. Like, from what I understand from, like, the way that the rules work, shouldn't they not have been allowed to use it? Especially since it's an original screenplay. So I think under American copyright law, there is nothing that protects the name itself if it bears no resemblance to the other work. And uh, the one that people talk about is when Warner Brothers tried to sue the Marx Brothers for making Night in Casablanca. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so they sent like something from the legal department and then Groucho wrote back with a series of very, very funny letters. One of them pointed out that the studio had no right to use Warner Brothers because professionally we were brothers long before you were. (laughs) (laughs) Here, here's another excerpt. He says, I just don't understand your attitude. Even if you plan on re-releasing your picture, I'm sure the average movie fan could learn in time to distinguish between Ingrid Bergman and Harpo. I don't know whether I could, but I certainly would like to try. <laughs> he was the best. He was, he was the, the best. best person he was ever. the king. Also not their best movie. No. Could have used those gags in the movie. Cronenberg said, I thought it was very disrespectful, not just to me, but to J.G. Ballard, who wrote the book which is very famous. And so Cronenberg said, I don't know how I would react if I met Paul Haggis. He's also Canadian. You know, we're basically peaceful people. But there was the fur trade, and it got nasty. Wow. Justine, tell us about the fur trade. (laughs) The fur trade, it's it's basically like when the first people from Europe arrived, they're like, okay, this is a wasteland because it's so cold, but there's lots of beaver furs. And so there was these little, these Frenchmen primarily who were just like running around hunting beavers. And like, I don't know if like there was, I guess there was a lot of murder involved and a lot of like nefarious things because you could kill someone and just steal the other furs and bring them back because they would be sold for like an insane amount of money. And there was no regulation, no rules. They were like outlaws, but like only beavers. That's the weird part. Tale all this time, men fighting over beavers. (laughs) Yeah, this movie, uh, going back to the Ebert thing, one of the things he said was that this movie seems like it was made by an algorithm, you know, like a computer. And I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it does. It feels like... From what I understand, too, like Ballard as a science fiction writer, he always writes science fiction, but like it's very close to our reality. And he always says, oh, I'm writing about five minutes into the future. That's his like (laughs) conception of it. Mm. And he was super fascinated by like, there's that kind of ironic line where it's like, oh... Do you think this is about the mixing of man and machine? But he was fascinated by algorithms and how technology shapes us. So this book is a little bit about kind of like how we are, we use technology to kind of get off, but how also technology uses us, which is kind of what we're seeing right now with like all the quote unquote algorithms. And I think Cronenberg, because he's again, such a dispassionate filmmaker, he almost has like a robotic point of view. It's like he's almost alien the way he looks at people because he's not, He's not putting emotion into how disgusting and weird everything is. It's like, he's like, this is just what's happening. And you just have to accept it because this is it, you know? Yeah, it it definitely speaks to the distance. Like, why it's not the horniest movie of all time. Like, you you don't find yourself getting into the characters' heads. You're just like an observer behind a pane of glass that is being rolled up as people are about to make love in a car wash. Mm-hmm. That was a good scene. Very good scene, yeah. Yeah, I really I really enjoyed uh, the the slow subdivision of the frame as uh, <laughs> the as the Lincoln like puts on its top, puts on the back window, puts on the front window. I thought that was very well done. Do you guys have any scenes that make you go, hmm? Scenes 
Because I really don't. I, I, I really look, this all does kind of make sense in, in, in the uh, logic of the movie. I've got one. Okay. My scene that makes me go, hmm. Scenes that make you go, hmm. Pause for drop. Is when Vaughn is performing this James Dean car crash for a crowd of people. Whenever you're doing something that might get shut down by the cops, do you ever bring bleachers and <laughs> spotlighting? It was. He's got yeah. a PA. He's got a microphone. He's got like everything involved to make this a full-on picture. Like the the cops come, everybody like scatters. Do they just sit down on the bleachers and wait? Like somebody's got to come for that stuff. Like, but you have to remember they're not real cops. Those are fake cops. Those right. are those are transit cops. They fake say cops. the Department of Transport, which to me like was definitely an opportunity to cut back and forth between like the uh, the trans cops just like trying to break the case. Like <laughs> we got to stay two steps ahead. Who? What's another celebrity that died? Uh, I would actually watch the shit out of a movie from their point of view. It's like they're yeah. trying to crack out on the, the people who are doing <laughs> these things. Yeah, there was a Lincoln convertible, 1973, sold on eBay. We all know who died <laughs> in one of those. I'm just surprised there wasn't one guy in the crowd who was just like get to the crash stop talking <laughs> yeah we, we all know we all know james dean that's why we're here jesus christ <laughs> just hands down his pants go come on really does remind you of how many people have died in car crashes like famous people mm-hmm. i started name like sam kinnison died in a car crash oh yeah uh, princess die princess die yeah fast and the furious guy oh yeah paul walker paul, paul walker, walker. Yeah. ironically who else that's three well, I mean, that's a yeah, lot. Yeah, there's a lot more. That's a 20-minute show then. <laughs> I mean, our 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 listening audience has things to do. They don't they don't need to hear a list. <laughs> they could just Wikipedia it. Yeah. I'm sure they've got their own people. They're like, uh, you know. Famous people who died in car crashes. Google. Actually, this is a great yeah. opportunity for you, the listener, to engage with the podcast. Go ahead and just comment on our Instagram <laughs> post, everyone who's died <laughs> from a vehicular death. Your favorite. Yeah, I, I I know we all have a top three, but go ahead and boil it down to just your fave of all time. Yeah, mm-hmm. if one of them gets ten thousand likes, you can Ooh. recreate it. That could yeah. be the Ooh. gift to the fans. Yeah, <laughs> we can sell it as an NFT. Justine, do you have any scenes that make you go hmm? Since you've you've probably seen this more than all of us combined. Uh, off the top of my head, no. To be honest, no. Um, but I'm like, I have like a very like, I'm very engaged watcher, but I'm also a passive watcher. And, like, my brain just discards things I don't understand. So I just mm-hmm. go, like, I don't know. And then people will bring it up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that's weird. I will say, did they say where he got that Porsche from? No, I don't know where he gets any of his cars from. There's an, there's probably, like, an underground market. Like, they're trading them. There's, like, other groups like this out, out, out there, maybe. Because that, that would be an expensive car to just fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. Also, where is he getting his income from to purchase all of these expensive cars? These people who buy tickets. Yeah, the people in the bleachers. The yeah, expensive his tickets. Pa- his Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my only scene that, because like I said, this whole movie's a fucking scene that makes you go, hmm. Seems to make you go, hmm. It's like a, your dream came to life. I'm just like, what the fuck did I just dream? It was like, <laughs> There was car- people into car crashes and wanted to fuck car crashes. I don't understand. My only one was when he, uh, when James Spader and Elias Cotillas finally get down, go to Pound Town, mm-hmm. I think. Because it just ends with Elias Cotillas, like, takes off his pants and then turns over. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. Like, I wish they were brave enough to go more into that, which they didn't do with. But the girls they were fine with, but this one was like, like, uh oh, that's all we're gonna show. So you wanted more? I wanted more. I wanna see I wanna see James Spader eat out Elias Catias's ass. I think that's an interesting question too, because I feel like that super long discussion about his dick, like there's he's like, Oh, it's covered in scars and all of these things. Like there's almost yeah. insinuation that like maybe his cock doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so he has to be a bottom. But I'm not sure, but I'm like trying to read between the lines because there was so much fixation on the fact that his dick is all scarred up. I didn't think that's where you were going, but that makes more sense that, like, he 
can't physically perform. And so that's why it wasn't so explicit. I thought you were just going with like a, no, this is a classic case of they talked about it. They talked about how scarred and weird it is. We're about to see like the end of Boogie Nights where we've been thinking (laughs) about this bent up car crashed penis for so long. That's Chekhov's dick. You got to show it. We we got to see this dick. Now I kind of want to see it. Yeah. There there was actually a, there was a screening of this that uh, there was a, Q&A session afterwards that somebody posted online and someone did ask, you had no problem showing female nudity, uh, but why was there no male nudity in it? And Cronenberg, he's like, no, it wasn't really a consideration. And then James Spader just goes, I'll field this one. (laughs) It's a matter of geography. If the man is in the woman, you can't see it. There's nothing worse than when actors Jesus talk. Christ. Just shut the fuck up. He, you could tell the look on his face was like, I just dropped the fucking bike. Everybody was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> because we also know David Kroberg is not afraid to show dick. Like, uh, yeah. Eastern Promises years later, mm-hmm. which like, like I feel bad for this man because people just ask him such inane questions. Like, I remember mm-hmm. there was so much like, you have like Viggo Mortensen's dick in the movie. He's like, yeah. He's in a sauna. <laughs> like, why wouldn't there be dick? Yeah. And it wouldn't make sense if there isn't. And they're like, well, that's weird. And he's like, fuck <laughs> you. Cronenberg is one of my favorite directors to watch uh, engage with an audience. Because mm-hmm. he's just often not having it. And uh, he's only he's second only to David Lynch, who just flat out goes, no. Nah. <laughs> they're like, what was that movie about? Man, oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the weather. i mean i feel like that was like you watch them and you figure out like the tricks of like how to engage with people like that like because even david lynch is not impossible it's just he doesn't want to explain to you what it's about so you Mm -hmm. just have to ask like questions like about how they did things so it's like if you're like how did you do the scene or like why did you choose these actors or things they'll usually answer you but if you ask them like what is like i don't even think they fully like i think cronenberg is such an intellectual he does know what he's doing yeah i agree but a lot of it is intuitive as well. Like, I think people, when talking to any kind of artist or any kind of... Com- it's like, why did you make that joke? Why did you write it that way? It's like, because it I just came to me and it's funny. Like, it's like, there's not always, like, this master plan of, like, right. Charlie Day with, like, things on the sign. It's like, sometimes it's just like, oh, it just came to me. And to kind of, like, try to force someone to explain what that means is just, like, sometimes, like, so pointless. It's just, yeah. just stupid. I think he's also smart enough to know that if you give a definitive answer, then you're ruining the experience for a lot of the audience that wants to interpret it in their own way. And they want to be affected personally. Yeah, it's it's all very effective. I do actually think this is a very good movie. I just don't ever want to watch it again. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Requiem for a Dream. Like, I get it. I got it. Bravo. Well done. That was another part of the Ebert review. He gave it three and a half stars, and he said, I like this movie. I wouldn't say I enjoyed it, (laughs) which is definitely, like, uh, I think a lot of our experiences. Well, Justine, you've written pretty extensively about sex in cinema. Mm -hmm. What are other movies that where it's, like, depicted very... I don't want to say disturbingly because there. I don't know. We might have a listener who loves to put his or her tits on a, a plane. I don't want to. I'm not. No judgment. Do 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 you? But I'm just trying to say, like, filmed in a way that is dispassionate is not meant to titillate. That's a, there. There's definitely other films. Um, I mean, the one that comes to mind is in the realm of the senses, which is kind of sexy mm-hmm. at least as it starts, and then kind of deteriorates. That one has hardcore sex. It's a Japanese filmmaker. Oshima about this Japanese nobleman who falls in love with this woman working there and then he doesn't realize that she's like not just a nymphomaniac but like on a next level like she basically fucks him to death over the course of the film Mm -hmm. uh she puts an egg in her vagina that's like (laughs) one of the big scenes um, and it's apparently based on a true story. So there's another movie based on that, but I haven't seen. Rewatching this movie, I'm also obsessed with Titan. So like also kind of a car mm. movie, which I highly recommend. Really fucked up. Like I had to look away. I don't look away during movies. I looked away oh, like, wow. a few times during Titan. Uh, highly recommend. <laughs> but uh, someone was talking about the fact that Ballard is actually really close to the Marquis de Sade, who is obviously the guy that they named sadism after. Oh. Because if you read... Marquis de Sade, and they've made tons of movies that they try to make sexy, but it's difficult. Like Sallow. Sallow, there's a ton of sex. Yeah, Supremely unsexy. Supremely yeah, unsexy. 
that's a top three for what I'm describing. Top three unsexy sex movies. Um, but what I found interesting about the comparison between them is this, like, there's almost this understanding, especially with this one, because bodies are literally being torn apart, like, mm-hmm. by car crashes. And it's almost like, how much can you tear a body apart and then put it back together? And, like, what are the different angles you could put them together with? Which is not really a, a very sexual thing. It's more like a geometric, I guess, and, like, a very deconstructing the human body in a very impersonal way, mm-hmm. which is, like, very antithetical to, like, our religious point of view, which sees the human body as so sacred and so imbued with, like, the soul of God. And if you, like, remove that, it's like, oh, they're just parts that maybe we can just put in these different angles. Yeah, uh, Salo would definitely be, like, probably even, I not probably, like, 100% a million times worse than this. Like, yeah, it, I, that's got to be the worst. I, I, I didn't think about it until you said it, but I remember watching that once and being like, "Ooh, gross." That one's really bad. That one is. That is. That one is like. That was the horrific. That one. I yeah. like. I can't. I don't know if there's a, a harder movie to watch than. No, that. not harder for sure. Like the end of the Brown Bunny is one I would put up there, which it's is just not sad. Sexy. It's, it's just not. like so depressing. Yeah. Should we play the? Uh, Cisco and Ebert bitch sesh about this movie. Yeah. It it is I think a good example of their different <laughs> tastes. Also the way that they talk to one another at the top like Ebert is ready for a fight. <laughs> like it's clear it's clear that he came to this locked and loaded <laughs> and it's not even about the movie anymore. It's just about Gene and what he finds. <laughs> if this if this wasn't on him. public television there would have been F-bombs and, like, listen, bitch, this movie yeah, is so good. I've never listened to this. I'm excited. But oh, the cool. way you're awesome. predicting it is, like, I feel like this is Ebert remembering the Blue Velvet discussion. And he's like, I was yeah. caught off guard. I'm not going to be caught off guard again. Kevin, you want to <laughs> play it? My honest reaction is that the subject of Crash left me feeling empty, not even challenged in the am I hip enough to get it way. Crash has some beautiful bodies on view, but also some ugly ideas, and as I said, I think it really did leave me cold. Well, of course, it was intended to leave you cold. I think I liked the movie a lot more than you did. I would like to make it clear that most people are probably going to hate it, be repelled by it, or walk out of it, just as they did at the Cannes Film Festival. Why is that? Because it's too tough for them to take. Oh, you mean, not Roger. Yes, it is. It is. It is. Wait a second. Sex involving wounds and blood and scabs and braces. A lot of people don't want to see it, don't want to have oh, anything but, but to do with it, don't want to be, close wait, to wait, it. I want to be clear. Do you think that that's my objection, the nature of my objection? I felt that no. your objection was that you didn't really bring any sympathy to what he was trying to do, and I'll tell you what he was trying to do. He's trying to make a pornographic movie without pornography. He's taking the form of a pornographic movie without the function or the content. He's substituting car crashes for the usual erotic stuff in order to show the mechanism yeah. of human compulsion well, and obsession. Okay, but wait a second, and it's a fascinating study of the way the mind works wait in connection with images that right. we connect with sex. Roger, it can't. I'm, I'm going to review the movie, and then I'll review your review. My <laughs> objection to what you said is that I think Sassy. that there are, quote, <laughs> soft porno stuff in the picture. When you see sex on the hood of a car when you see people mm-hmm. making None it in bed. None of the sex scenes in this movie are directed in a way to be erotic. Oh, I think that the, oh, I think that the, uh, the one scene in bed between Deborah Carr Unger and Spader, I think that that's intended to be erotic. I think a woman touching her breast, pulling it out of her bra, that's intended to be erotic. And I think it can be erotic. I'm saying that the ideas in the film, said by the performance artist, that somehow this is a connection between life and death. Yeah. That's well, a bunch you know, of hooey. The movie doesn't. It's hooey. Uh, you, uh, the movie thinks so too, Gene. The movie uh-huh. is about crazy people. Yeah. That's and, what it's about. And, the movie doesn't argue these people are right or mm-hmm. even that they make sense. But, but are they interesting? Yes. Not to me. You've never seen anyone like this before. Um, well, oh, I've seen, I haven't Damn. seen a lot of people in bad wow. movies before that I don't like either. <laughs> that was nice. Oh, Wow. Cisco was close to saying, look, Porky. Yeah. This movie stinks. He, <laughs> Wait, I like <laughs> him saying hooey. That's hooey. Yeah, hooey. That's like yeah. such a like, outdated little little turn of phrase there. I like on the review, Cisco kind of outed himself. He's like, has any of this erotic to He's like, yeah. I mean, that scene where she's like asking him, like, has he ever seen his gnarled dick? And does he know what cum tastes like? Yeah, that was kind of erotic. Yeah, yeah no, that yeah. tracks. If you know a little bit about that swinger, Siskel, that, uh... <laughs> kind of into that. I find it interesting, though, like, the specific word he uses. He's like, I think it's in- it's uh, taking out your boob or whatever. He says yeah. it's, like, intended, intended to arouse. And mm-hmm. I think it's, like, 
I think that that's like kind of the discomfort he felt is like, he's like, that is a, an action that I'm familiar with that is intended to arouse. Mm-hmm. And the movie, I don't know if he was turned on, but there is something really like a rejection that's like uncomfortable. Like maybe he is one of these people who is like, this movie is hot and I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't like that I have a half a chubby right now. <laughs> yeah. I really do think that a lot of uh, like people walking out at Cannes. And the big review in Britain that went out that, like, led to the Daily Mail trying to shut the entire thing down. I think when you start with three sex scenes in a row, the audience is so not used to experiencing that that Mm -hmm. they don't know how to feel about it. And it just, like is a full frontal assault from the beginning and you don't know what the tone is. You just, the mm-hmm. normal way that you picture sex is like, oh, I guess this is titillating, but like something is amiss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that is so much of like, I think why the movie works too, because it's working so much on audience expectations of like, obviously pornography, but I think even further than that, like anything, like when you watch a movie, you're expecting it to give you something. And so you're always, like, every time you watch, a, like, a slasher movie is a great example. It's like you enjoy most slasher films because you kind of expect what's going to happen. It's not the unexpected. So when you watch a slasher film that kind of fucks with that, it makes you supremely uncomfortable or you the movie's just bad because they don't understand that, like, parasocial relationship or it's something incredibly transgressive. And even that makes people mad. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that, like, David Cronenberg is super aware of what he's doing there. And I think, like, if people were not mad watching this movie, I think he would have failed. Like, I think it would have, he just would have made just, like, a weird porn. Like, I don't know if it would have been a porno, but it would be a weird sex movie. Like, I don't know. Like, he's he's treading a very dangerous line. Mm-hmm. Well, it's almost yeah. like Existence, which is, like, his weird video game movie. movie. <laughs> it's, like, made by a man who, like, it feels like, you don't really play video games. This is your idea of what video games could be. And it, uh, that movie's great, but... That movie is great. I, I only watched that one pretty recently, like in the past like five years or maybe longer. I don't know. Um, but I love like the little like tentacle things that they attach. I'm like, it's kind of like ahead of its time. Like the fact that like the, how plugged in we are, it's like he kind of saw that. And like, I think like there's some fascination with Crash there too, because it's not in the movie at all, but apparently in the book, which I haven't read, but plan to is that uh, the uh, Vaughn character used to be like, basically like an Elon Musk type of character. Like he was this incredibly charismatic and super involved like tech genius who owned this company. And then somehow he transitioned into the car crashes. Uh, So I think that there's like a lot of things at play with that kind of technological point of view. And also like, I don't think this movie could ever be remade, but it would be really funny if they did something like with the like Silicon Valley-esque character who does transition to just being, like, really into car crashes. I think that'd be really fun. Well, I think the the remake, you could do it, like, what you're saying with uh, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and, like, call it, like, shuttle or something like that. And, like <laughs> The airplane. Yeah, it's like his, like, penis shuttle, like, flies into space and, like, goes into the back of Richard Branson's shuttle, you know, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Grimes could do the soundtrack. I know they're broken up, but I, should, I think she <laughs> still do it because she really likes, like, space stuff, so. You know, I, let's uh, let's have more interesting movies. Have Cronenberg remake uh, or do the next Cars, you know, like Mater puts his <laughs> no, tongue in Lightning McQueen's uh, tailpipe. Oh, man. If somebody can recut the trailer for Crash with scenes from Cars, please do it. <laughs> I think Cronenberg is also coming out with a new film, his first new film in a while. Like, I believe he's working on it right now. Oh, I thought he was done. Um, I think he said he was, but I think now he's doing one more. Oh, good. I want to talk about J.G. Ballard just a little bit. Okay. Obviously, J.G. is a perplexing character that he made the lead character of his book that is about car crash fetishes, James Ballard, his actual name. Uh, When he was asked about that, he said, these were my fantasies. Naming the character that gave it a degree of honesty that would have been absent otherwise. And what's interesting about it is right after he published this book, he got into a serious automobile accident. Oh, wow. And so a lot of speculation has been whether this was purposeful or not. He has had a fascinating career. He like started he when he finally got home, he started writing sci-fi stories. He shifted into what I'm going to call his car period. Hmm. 
where he wrote a series of stories that all got compiled into a thing called the Atrocity Exhibition. One of those stories was titled Crash, but this one has an exclamation point. He also did a, an art exhibition that was just three mangled, crashed cars. And then he, he wrote this book, sort of capping it off. The reason I want to talk about him partially is because the Atrocity Exhibition, multi, like I said, it's a bunch of short stories compiled. Uh, one of those short stories, which made me laugh out loud, the chapter is entitled, Why I Want to Fuck Ronald Reagan. Hmm. It was first published as a pamphlet by Unicorn Bookshop in Brighton. This was uh, a bookseller who tried to sell this pamphlet was charged with obscenity. Um, It's written in the style of a scientific paper and catalogs an apocryphal series of bizarre experiments intended to measure the psychosexual appeal of Ronald Reagan. An excerpt from this reads... Patients were provided with assembly kit photographs of sexual partners during intercourse. In each case, Reagan's face was superimposed upon the original partner. Vaginal intercourse with Reagan proved uniformly disappointing, producing <laughs> orgasm in 2% of subjects. Sounds accurate. Another, another portion says, The preferred mode of entry overwhelmingly proved to be the rectal. Multiple-track cinephiles were constructed of Reagan in intercourse during A, campaign speeches, B, rear-end auto collisions with one- and three-year-old model changes, C, with rear exhaust assemblies, D, with Vietnamese child atrocity victims. Needless to say, this goes into, like, a weird Reagan-slash-car-crash-slash-baffling piece that uh, I highly recommend you check out because I would like someone to explain it to me. It just makes me realize I have a limited imagination. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I was like, I was just watching like an interview that like a, a like a whatever, a, like a presentation of Crash from like 95 or 96 where Ballard and Cronenberg were there together and they were talking about it. And Ballard was discussing like why he wrote the book. And his connection to it. And he's basically saying, he's like, I actually don't connect with it at all anymore. He's like, I actually like put myself in like a psychotic state almost to write it. And he's like, so that is like an element of my fantasies and putting it all on the page. But he's like, but I don't recognize the person who wrote that. And it's like, he's like, and he's like, I don't recommend doing that. He's like, that's a very dangerous thing. Um, But on another story, which I like has to do with a car that from his, his life, he has a really strange and tragic life. He had a wife and three children, and obviously they're from the UK, and they went on vacation in Spain. And on vacation in Spain, his wife got pneumonia and died. Oof. And then they he packed up the three kids and drove back to the UK, and his children say that he never mentioned her again. He's like, we drove back, we didn't talk about what happened, and she, he's, it was like she didn't exist. And he was apparently very much in love with her, but he was like so traumatized by like, um, like unpredictability of that like it fucked him up and that like some people think that that had a big impact on Crash because it was like this like completely like emotionally devastating experience that he just completely compartmentalized like it's a fucked up story it's a fucked up situation and you could kind of see how that would shape someone's worldview of like things aren't fair and there's a lot of like fucked up shit in the world that nobody wants to talk about. Yeah, when when she died, that's when he started writing the short stories that became the atrocity experiment. But yeah, that's interesting. I saw a pull quote from him about like why he wrote the book Crash. And similar to you saying he doesn't fully associate with the character, he said, I wanted to rub the human face in its own vomit. Mm. I wanted to force it to look in the mirror. Clearly, this is this is a man who is trying to make sense of a very cruel, awful world. Do you think that's how he pitched it? <laughs> Probably. To the public. But I think it's also, it's like, it's not only like a cruel, awful world. It's a cruel, awful world where we broadcast it on television and we treat it as entertainment. And like, <laughs> it's like, it's, you see why he would be so angry. And then, like, you could also see his rage at, like, Ronald Reagan and all these other things, like, how it all interconnects, like, this, like, hyper-televised culture. You got to watch something. Yeah. Did you guys find it (laughs) at all interesting that the end of the book is with Vaughn crashing 
achieving sexual climax as he crashes headlong into uh, Elizabeth Taylor's yeah, car wild. and kills her. Yeah. That's how the book ends? That's, That's how the ends. book ends. Yeah. The That's end. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Those are yeah, those are some cheery credits that roll right after. <laughs> yeah. I mean like that the ending and like the whole compulsion reminds me of like all those people who are like really into that cannibalism fetish. You know, it's like oh, so yeah. you can only achieve your like full climax once. Like you can only be eaten once. And it's like the car crash people like they're kind of treading that line too. They're like, eh, I kind of want to die in this crash every time because that will be the ultimate high. Well, not to sound like iced tea in uh, an episode of SVU, but are you telling me people want to be eaten? You guys have never heard that story? Yeah, I took a class in college that was called the Philosophy of Death and Suicide. And uh, it was a great class. But one of the things we discussed was in Germany, there was this case where this guy met a guy online. He wanted to eat someone. This guy wanted to be eaten. That was like their fetish. And the dude like recorded it all. So like, so we'd have legal evidence, I guess, for it. And also, like, I guess to jerk off to it after. I don't Anyways. think that helps. Yeah. But he, like, but the video, like, I guess was, like, them sitting at a kitchen table. He f- makes the guy drink a shit ton of um, cough syrup. So he gets, like, super drowsy and, like, blah, blah, blah. Cuts off the dude's dick. Sautés it. They both eat it. Ooh. But he burns it. That's an important yeah. detail because he yeah. doesn't know uh, how to cook. Yeah. And then, oh. uh, and then kills the dude. Yeah. Then, like, kills the dude. Wow. And so, like, the class was like, so did that dude actually want to die? Or was it the fetish of dying? Yeah. And, like, so, like, where's where's the line? Well, there was, because of the Army Hammer thing, like, there's been a revival of discussions over the cannibalism mm-hmm. fetish. And um, I've, I saw, like, a few sex workers talking about it. It's actually very common. But it's they don't mm-hmm. actually want to die. It's just the fantasy mm-hmm. of eating or being eaten. Um, I guess it's the same thing as, like, the people who want to be crushed. Like, you don't literally want to be crushed. Mm-hmm. Probably. Where did Army Hammer go? What happened to that? He went to the rich, his rich family's house yeah. somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, seriously. Wouldn't it have been crazy if he was like a, a serial killer? Because they they said there was like one or two people that were found buried where he was doing construction. Remember, he like joined like during the pandemic. He his brother has a construction company, so he was like taking pictures. He was like, oh, I decided to like help out, and everyone was like, oh, that's weird. That's interesting. And then the cannibal stuff came out, and then apparently they found, like, the remains of someone who was missing not far from the construction site that he was working at. That would be wild if a Hollywood star was a serial killer. That would be very interesting. Yeah, it's a good movie. And good-looking guy. Finally, we could have an actual good-looking serial killer. Because Ted Bundy's not that good looking. Oh Let's... my God! Can you imagine how he'll clean up in jail? <laughs> like if the if those grody serial killers were having women throwing themselves at him. Mm-hmm. Oh, Army Hammer is gonna have millions of pen pals. Now it's time for our heralded segment. That's right. Everyone's a critic. Where we find someone who hated this movie, and then we see what they love. Ken gave this film on Amazon one star. Ken wrote, Absolutely one of the most disturbing movies ever. First, I love James Spader and Holly Hunter as actors. But this is one of the most mentally disturbing movies I've ever watched. Moreover, what would possess anyone to want to make such a movie? There are absolutely no social or other redeeming qualities about it. Period. End of discussion. (laughs) Ken also gave five stars to Undergents, men's boxer brief underwear. Fantastic product. After many washes and well over a year of wearing, I decided to upgrade and buy some new ones, strictly for the reason I wanted new ones. I'll be donating the clean and washed older ones to the Vietnam veterans of America. These are the most comfortable I've ever owned, and believe me, I've tried lots of others. Try one pair and you'll be hooked into buying more. I mean, if there's... 
any great example of how we just discard veterans. Yeah. It is that they're getting sh- fucking used shitty underwear. I, I like how the guy's like, oh, the only reason I'm getting new ones is because I need it. Not because I shit my pants. I know that's what you're thinking. You're thinking I shit all my underwear. That's not what I did. Don't believe my ex-wife. <laughs> I love it's like too that he's like specific. It has to be the Vietnam veterans. It's like yeah. it's right. like they haven't suffered enough. It's truly yeah. the funniest, lamest virtue signaling <laughs> that I've ever heard of. Just like not, not like I love these and I'm buying new ones. While I'm here, I'm gonna buy a couple extra pairs to donate. No, they're getting my old. Like I've washed them hundreds of times. I, well over a year, I said. I uh, just imagine surviving the Tet Offensive. Coming home, people spitting on you, calling you a baby killer. You can't get a real job anymore. Any loud noise sets you off, like you have PTSD. And then somebody just comes around and goes, hey, here, here's my underwear. Well, you yeah. should put it on. <laughs> no, not even in the mail. You open up your mail and like, God, what is this? This guy keeps sending me fucking shit-stained underwear. Oh, there's a letter with it? It says, I promise these are clean. I didn't shit my pants. <laughs> Did you click on the product to see if there's like the veteran who got them? And like, I got I got used version. Maybe the brand new is good. <laughs> Would you ever wear used underwear though? No. <laughs> is no. there a market? Underwear's not that expensive. I'll just I know. go buy I'm not that desperate for it. Is there a market for it though? Like I've never heard. I feel like most places don't accept underwear. Like no. they're not going to take the underwear. You're just you're, you're, you're yeah. not, they're going to just throw it in the garbage. Well, don't tell Ken that he he has one good thing that he does to be charitable. All right, should we head on down to Pop Corner? Yeah, Pop Corner. Yeah, Pop Corner is like popcorn reviews where we popcorn the popcorn. Yeah. No, so like I give this movie three popcorns, okay? But to me, those three popcorns are it's a moonlit night. And you're out for a drive with your honey. And you guys are cruising along on the radio, Angel Baby's playing. And it's mm. like, Angel Baby. Oh, and then, bam! You're hit by a fucking popcorn truck. Mm. But you don't die. Because it's so full of popcorn <laughs> that the heat of your impact exploded all the popcorn. And it made a big cushion. And then you and your honey make sweet, sweet love. As a man with a camera and a scar in his face gets real close to you and says, I like that. Yum. Yeah, I'm going to give this film four buckets of popcorn that I'm like making my way through and I realize that like, oh, you know what? This is not perfectly cooked. Uh, some of this is a little bit burnt. Even though it's not, it's not right, I'm like eating the burnt flavor and I'm kind of like, this, there's... There's something a little there's something a little extra about this. <laughs> and I won't bore you with the details, but like several years pass of me eating burnt popcorn and eventually me and my honey are getting ourselves into a microwave and we're burning ourselves alive <laughs> to reach the high that that first taste of popcorn once gave us. Yeah. I'm going to give this uh one bag of popcorn for my wife and I to share. And I take a bite and I'm like, this is salty." And she goes, well, actually, there's different types of salty popcorn. I've, I've had saltier. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, <laughs> she's like, uh, <laughs> I'll end it on that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys are so good. So I don't know. I mean, I have five pop, five bags of popcorn. One for every Canadian province that... Mm deserves it um <laughs> how can, many provinces are there there's 10 there's 10 and there's three territories just to bring it back to you watch this a lot on tv and you're from montreal correct yeah quebec right would other would this is this something that would have played across all of canada or yeah, because it was on Showcase, which was cable, Canadian cable. So, like, okay. I know people in Ontario, at least Ontario, which were the, the big ones, were the most important. But oh, Canadian, okay. like, basic cable or, like, a No, you would channel? have to pay, but it's, like, it's the, I guess, I don't know, like, uh, what is basic cable? Like, we have the, you have the channels you start with, and then if you have a basic cable package, this would be on the basic cable package. Okay. Well, I think that 
five popcorns for the good. five actually good provinces is a fantastic rating. And Justine, I cannot thank you enough for joining us for the second time, our first double dipper of the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, is there anything that you would like to point our listenership towards in the form of a plug or something similar? You could follow me on Twitter at Red Room Rantings. I publish all my writing and stuff there. So uh, that's the best place. Otherwise, I don't have anything going on. Uh, well, <laughs> Very good. go there, everyone. Uh, she's a great follow. And uh, we have been the Cable Boys. Thank you so much for listening. Go ahead and follow us on our social media accounts, which you can find at Cable Boys Pod. Go to wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you don't already, like and subscribe and rate us five stars, because quite frankly, that was a five-star episode. And if you don't think so, then I am going to track you down in my Lincoln, and I am going to form a giant scar across your thigh, and then it's going to be unclear exactly what I'm doing to it. (laughs) No one's got anything to add to that? No. I think we know. No. I don't want to revisit that scene. (laughs) Well, now I feel gross. But that's it. Bye. I don't like that I have a half a chubby right now.